Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg with the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and... Today, uh, during Earth Week, as we're celebrating here at WFIU, today is our gardening show, our annual spring gardening show. We have two veterans with us in the studio, Helen May from May's Greenhouse, and Don Adamson is here. He's a a tree man from Bloomington Valley Nursery. If you uh, want to join us on the program, please phone us at 855-0811. Or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition, and send us an email. So, welcome back to the program. Glad to be here. Nice to have you. Nice to have you. Very glad to be here. Woohoo! It's gardening day. (laughs) Mary Catherine's very happy. Uh, I would uh, remind you, our listeners, to uh, go to the phones early because we usually get lots of lots of calls during this program. That's right. And if uh, we don't get any calls, Mary Catherine has about a million questions. That's right. And we just make stuff up as we go. So that's right. You have an email already. I do. Well, let's go ahead and get get uh, get get this party started. Okay, here we go. Uh, It begins. We are putting in rays beds and have been looking at the square foot gardening method, which recommends constructing a soil from equal parts compost, peat moss, and vermiculite. This appears to be pretty expensive, especially the vermiculite, and we're looking into alternatives. Can your guests make recommendations on putting together a good soil for raised beds and give some idea of the cost per square yard? What a great question. Helen, are you on this one? Well, uh, I'm always a little leery of using too much vermiculite. It's um, isn't it somewhat like asbestos if you breathe yeah, it, it in? It, it lightens it up too much. But it, it lightens the soil up too much. But then if it's flying around in the air, you're going to breathe it me. in. Yeah. yeah. That's not but it. Um, Don, don't you guys carry a vastly improved uh, topsoil? We have uh, a good topsoil, and then we do have the. Uh, uh, compost as well, but uh, I think maize have the the larger bags of vermiculite <laughs> that, that mm-hmm. we don't carry the larger bags. But uh, we've had several people interested in that. I know this year, and uh, we can work out a mix with. Uh, I couldn't figure a, a price offhand uh, for the different products, but. I know we've worked with several people to set it up. Mm-hmm. So you're familiar with this raised bed? Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. We've had several people in this spring uh, doing that type thing. Oh, it neat. It seem, seems to be popular. Okay. Now, i got a follow-up question with this. The topsoil in bags that you buy, what is the ideal use for that? I mean, where what's the ideal application for well, that? Well, there's lots of different kinds. Some topsoil I know that uh, some of the discount stores for sure carry is really bad yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've had that experience. And, it's and, like, ugh. And yet others, we feel we have a pretty good bag topsoil, and then we have the bag compost to mix with it. But uh, you're right. Some some bag topsoil is not good. It packs and and all of that and doesn't stay loose. So it is important to get one that stays loose. And what's, the, what's the source of that topsoil? Well, again, there's uh, some of them just uh, – ours ends up coming off the top of the peat bog. So it has mm-hmm. – uh, a lot of the peat kind of mixed with it. Mm-hmm. and uh, Bonus. But, yeah, but others, <laughs> it looks like they just dig it out of the ground, so yeah. I don't know. I've seen some that looks like it came out of the bottom of the peat bog. And yeah. Could, this was years ago before we found a good line. But uh, you could pick up a piece of blue-looking clay and bend it, but it wouldn't break. <laughs> I've seen so, that. Uh, we, we carry also what is called a garden soil which has a little uh, more soil-like texture to it. 
that someone might want to try, mm-hmm. uh, veg, you know, for a vegetable garden. Does something. that come already amended so it's just yeah, ready to yeah, plant? Yeah, pretty much so. Now, in a raised bed, you might want to lighten it just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What's amended mean? <laughs> um, nice stuff mixed into it already. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good, good. Not, not just topsoil. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we have three callers already, so let's go to the phones. And Joan is first. Joan? Yes, I'm on. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, I have two questions. Um, one has to do with fertilizing what and when for these particular things, and then I'm wondering if it's too late to mulch the trees. So uh, the things I want to fertilize are azalea, rhododendron, and dogwood trees. Okay, the uh, the flowering plants like that, you don't want to feed them till they're done flowering. Right. And uh, that's the important thing. So those, the fertilizing would be yet to come as they're blooming right now. Okay. And, uh, well, I think all of them on your list are probably in bloom right now. Everything's yeah, blooming at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they finish flowering, then then go ahead and feed them. Okay. And what fertilizer? Does it matter? Well, the azalea, they like an acid fertilizer. So you would get one for azaleas and rhododendron. And the uh, the dogwood, I like to use a high phosphate. Well, the azalea one would probably have that too, but it has uh, material to make the soil acid. Okay. And okay. is it too late to mulch the trees? No, they can be mulched uh, any time. Don't put too much around them. The, the sad mistake that many people make, and even a lot of these uh, landscape maintenance contractors just pile the mulch on, yeah. and you don't want to do that. It's best to not even have the mulch come to the trunk of the tree, but you can make a kind of a saucer out beyond that, uh, have an area where the more w- will not get into the tree, but uh, you don't want to pile the mulch up against the tree. I've seen... I'm That's sure. a mulch cano. I call that a mulch yeah. cano. <laughs> yeah. a, lot of these ma- a lot of these maintenance people do that, mm-hmm. and it's it's harmful to the tree. Yeah, so, you see it all over, yeah. Right, and even they do it to just make it easier for them to take care of it, but it's bad <laughs> for the tree. Okay, thanks very much. All right, thanks a lot for the call, Joan, and we're going to go next to Bertha. Bertha? Hello. Hello. Go ahead. <clears throat> I have a question about a wisteria. Mm-hmm. It's been a great year for wisteria, mm-hmm. and I have one that's bloomed. But this is the second time that the bowl, the buds got about oh two or three inches, and then just stopped. And they're still on. It's slowly leafing out, but the the buds, it's like they went into hibernation. And I wondered, is there anything I could do to trigger them to go ahead and open, or are they just gone for the season? I really don't know. I would be, uh, if if this happens year after year to almost all the buds, uh, I would be tempted to pull one off and look at, at it carefully under a strong light over a white surface and see if they're infested with thrips or mites of some kind, if they're all doing that. Uh, if you normally aren't supposed to fertilize uh, wisteria very much <laughs> because it doesn't take much to make it wild. Right. But um, you might try a little, uh, what would you say, Don? Fo- Some phosphate? Yeah, phosphate. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, but I would check those buds to see if they are look blasted. or Now, some of the insects you might see there would be very small. That's why I suggested a, a strong light and a white surface. Okay. Uh, it's, I was just surprised because it, it's, it's bloomed beautifully in the past, but when it was very young, it did this once, and I didn't expect it this year when I saw all the other wisteria just going crazy. Mm-hmm. That's something I've not run into. Okay, not well, familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I love your show. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. And we're going to go to Pat next. Pat? Hi. Hi. Uh, it's wonderful to have you to ask questions of. Uh, I would like to have a berry patch in the back of my garden, and I have some thornless blackberries, and I'm wanting to know how to propagate those. Uh, some of them are making long canes. Uh, can I use that material uh, and uh, end up with a nice berry patch? If they are healthy, you can uh, pin a tip of one of those long canes to the ground, and it will root before the summer is over. 
then you can cut it free from your other cane and uh, next spring plant it where you want it. So wait a minute. That's she can just layering. bend that over. Well, right? uh, you've heard of bramble patches, haven't you? Yeah. They do this naturally very often. Where the, the cane... She doesn't need any rooting comp- Oh, she could use some, certainly. What she really needs is, is reasonably good soil and a, a get it firmly in the ground yeah. so it doesn't move around right. or flip up in the wind or something. Uh, they root quite easily. But uh, it's the tip of the... Uh... Yeah, now, you, what, I misspoke probably. You want the tip to be out of the ground... And then you want to go six or eight inches back, you want the cane buried mm-hmm. for okay. a while. So you might put a rock on it or something. Sort of a layering. <laughs> yes, a layering, exactly. And also, some blackberries tend to pretty well spread themselves by making suckers from the original plant. Mm-hmm. And if those get too heavy, uh, and you're brave, you might at the right time of year when they aren't too big and the weather's not too hot, just uh, shift, dig some of those out and add them to your row. Okay. Do you think it's too late now to do that? How tall are they? Are there any, I mean, the new shoots, are there any new shoots yet? Well, I'm not certain. Um, mostly they're just making these long, very long canes. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I didn't know whether to cut those off or whether they could be used to propagate them. Well, the absolutely easiest way to do it is layering. And if you've got an area adjacent to your plant where you want another plant, you can area it, uh, layer it quite close and just when it's rooted and making sprouts of its own, just cut it loose from the mother plant. Okay. I understand. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot, Pat. You learn something every day. I know it. Our phone numbers are... <laughs> Eight five five zero eight one one or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight from outside of the Bloomington calling area. The website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Helen May and Don Adamson are here and we're talking it's our annual spring gardening show. We have another phone call and this one comes from Lyle. Lyle? Yes, hi. Um, we're in Brown County and we're planting Concord grapes this year. And we normally have a huge infestation of Japanese bean beetles on our garden. We have to fight with seven dust. I wonder if there's anything we can do besides that uh, to help protect the grapes, and if there's anything that we can use on it that won't, you know, harm a person to eat the grapes later. Well, you uh, now Don might be able to tell you more about this. I've be, I've been not very active in the business for a few years and the insecticides recommended and coming on and off the market quite often change uh, they keep trying to find something safer to use um, I would recommend that you go to a, a, a greenhouse or garden center and discuss the problem with someone there or uh, I the man the area extension agent from Purdue is located in the old health building at the corner of College and 6th, is it? 7th. 7th, I think. Okay. I would go in and try to find some information there because uh, if you phone there, it may be a while before anybody gets around <laughs> okay. to answering you. But uh, is this a... a, a general problem through your area or do you just have them worse than your neighbors or well we're mostly in the woods here we have a little patch about an acre that's uh, in a bottom between two creeks and I, I don't know very many people in the area that actually have gardens we're close to the yellowwood state forest but um i've never seen such a, a problem uh, they just want to make skeletons of the mm. of the cherry tree i have a a uh, sweet cherry tree and a few other little trees planted down there that probably don't belong in this area. And uh, the only thing they leave alone is the persimmon tree. But they'll make skeletons of the leaves. And uh, I've been spraying, actually putting seven dust in water and using a sprayer at a, and just spraying just enough to, to keep them away, you know. And mm-hmm. I just I thought, well, that's going to really hurt the grapes. I wouldn't even want to eat them after that. So I, I don't know what to do. Well, you might, there are some other things you might use. I think there's uh, – isn't neem oil a, as right, much a repellent as a – That's used quite a bit anymore as an mm-hmm. insecticide, and it is – What's that called? 
Neem, N-E-E-M. Okay. Oil. Uh, it's uh, often by itself or it may be combined with something else. Another thing you could do if you are rather isolated, they tend the, to live part of their life cycle underground eating grass roots. Hmm. And uh, what is it, Bacillus thuringiensis? Hmm. You could BT. You could treat your lawn with, okay. and it uh, it's not something you do every year. Once it's in there and well established, it's probably good for ten, fifteen years. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you we very good? much. Okay, good luck uh, with your Concord grapes. All right. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. We have a couple more phone calls. We're going to go to an email first. Okay. So let's go. Here's the email. It says, "Are there any types of wave petunias that will thrive in a window box location that gets very little direct sunlight but is not heavily shaded?" They probably won't thrive. Yeah. I don't think probably there are any petunias that would thrive under those situations. Have you tried in the past uh, any kind of petunias at all in that basket or box or whatever it is? Well, I don't know. Actually, I happen to know who wrote this. Oh. And I can tell you that uh, geraniums do very nicely. (laughs) Well, if there's enough light for geraniums to do well, I should think petunias of any kind would probably be all right. If they begin to get a little long and leggy on them, you can cut them way back, and in a couple weeks, they're blooming again, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. All right. We're going back to the phones. Uh, Adam is next. Adam? Hello. Hi, Adam. Hi. I have a new house that I bought, and the neighborhood doesn't have too many trees. And I wanted to plant – I'm in Monroe County – and I wanted to plant some locally growing uh, trees in my backyard. And other than like a white dogwood for a medium to small tree, what other options do I have? You want like a, a native species? Is that what you're looking for? Yes. Okay. Well, most of the uh, trees are not native species anymore. They've improved them so much uh, with hybridizing that uh, not many native trees are used anymore. One that is used is serviceberry. And even though the variety that we sell is not the native variety, but uh, they've hybridized and improved uh, most of the native species and uh, made them much superior plants to to what we used to consider as a native tree. Adam, did you want a flowering tree? Um, Not necessarily. It's partially blocking out the neighbors and also that it just looks nice and uh, doesn't grow too large because it is a uh, resident neighborhood. Were you thinking evergreen versus flowering tree? No, I'm not really wanting an evergreen. Okay. But uh, I know serviceberry that I mentioned makes a great blocking tree because there are available in clump forms that would uh, – uh, so it makes a nice blocking tree. It has nice white flowers in the spring, red berries in June, also a nice fall color. So it's mm-hmm. one, of, one of those trees that, that gives you a nice variety throughout the season. And they're very uh, attractive to birds when the little berries get ripe. So right. if you're a bird watcher, that uh, <laughs> might be interesting. <laughs> Redbud is, is another native that I forgot, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, we have a couple of different types of redbud. Okay. All right, Adam. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348. The website, wfiu.org slash Noon edition. Nita is next. Nita? Hi. Hi, Nita. Um, my first question is, Helen, why did you retire? I miss seeing you. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> well, all that walking around has got to be more than I wanted to do, I guess. <laughs> well, you at least one day a week and say, okay, Helen fans, come this day. You know what I think? I think they need to just install, like, a little throne for Helen, and we can just look. <laughs> see, any, Helen, you wouldn't even have to walk around. We could just come up to the throne, genuflect, and ask our questions. What do there you think, you Nita? Okay, my question. Okay. Homegrown compost. Is it okay to put in flower pots or do you need to add other dirt? Well, it will depend somewhat on what you're growing. Uh, if well, you need something is... that needs really sharp drainage, you need, should add some some sand probably. Okay. Or some perlite or vermiculite. Okay. Uh, if you're growing uh Something that is a really heavy feeder, 
you can use a lot of compost. Is the, the main thing is, did the compost get hot enough that it's still not got a lot of active weed seeds in it? Oh. Uh, if that's the case, you may also have some fungus problems in it. Uh, the last, we don't compost, we pile and rot. <laughs> and about every three years, clean it up. <laughs> and I I found the last time we emptied out that we just had uh, all sorts of things coming up in it. So yep. I put them in plastic bags and let them set a year, and I figure that stuff will germinate and die maybe. <laughs> okay. Okay. That sounds like a um, great idea. But it may be a little fine and powdery for some uh, varieties of plants, in which case some perlite or vermiculite or something to open it a little so it'll drain better might be mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds great. Um, the other question is, I have a spring garden only, and everything just multiplies like crazy. What do you suggest besides flower seeds annuals for the summer? Oh, to replace where stuff has died back? Yeah, or? thousands of daffodils, okay, they're gone, <laughs> for example. Well, do you have any trouble with deer or rabbits? Are you joking? <laughs> I didn't. My, my first recommendation to you, if you just want to sow, of course, of course. is uh, zinnias. Mm-hmm. Neither the rabbits nor the deer will bother them. And probably, rather than some of the old kinds that get so diseased, uh-huh. you probably should sow uh, profusions mm-hmm. or uh, some of the other smaller um, um, single leash daisies <laughs> or zinnias, rather. Uh, also, uh, what was larks- the word? I, I missed the first word. Uh, profusion is the name of a strain of zinnias. Are those cut and come again that you can? No, they they're less. They get less disease than the cut and come again variety, and mm-hmm. uh, they are not as fully double. Some of them are single. Mm-hmm. But they're very good bloomers right through the season, and the foliage stays very healthy. Mm-hmm. And my mother always sowed coxcomb and stuff like that, uh, okay. calendulas, and uh, mm-hmm. they all come pretty quickly from seed and yeah. uh-huh. uh, make a nice mass of color. Larkspur and poppies should be sowed early to have much success. Okay. And, you know, my experience, I don't know how much sunlight you've got, Nita, but my experience is zinnias don't require just an absolute full sun. They'll do pretty well and a little bit less than that. So they're pretty flexible flowers. Mm-hmm. No, I got a lot of sun. Okay, good. Yeah, and a lot of deer. Two blocks from the <laughs> university, and we have a deer haven over here. <laughs> right. Well, they won't eat your zinnias unless they're starving. All right. Thanks for the suggestion. All right, Nita. Okay. Hey, bye thank, bye. Thanks a lot for the call. We're gonna we're gonna get in one more phone call before we take our break. So uh, Tammy is next. Tammy. Hi. Hi. Go right ahead. I, I have a couple questions. I want to know when are you supposed to prune blueberry bushes, and also when can you take cuttings from forsythia to root them um, to propagate more. The uh, the forsythia, if you wanted to, it takes it's going to take quite a bit of time to to get new ones to start like that. But they can you can root them in uh, in water while they're actively growing. Actually, so that could be done even now. Do I have to wait until their bloom is done? I th- I think you could probably go ahead even now with them. Okay. They're kind of like pussy willows. If you leave them in a vase long enough, mm-hmm. they'll make a few roots. Right, right. Or a little later in the summer when they've made some shoots that are not weak and willowy but will snap, mm-hmm. you probably could uh, just root some in potting soil. Okay. Uh, and the blueberries, uh, I just go in mine in the winter and take out anything that looks weak or crowded or like it might be diseased. And... Uh, and then occasionally, if if I've got some big old canes that look like they're kind of tired and don't have too many buds showing on them, I, I'll take some one or two of those big ones out. 
But you don't prune the new ones off that much. Oh, no. Because <laughs> you'll be cutting all your berries. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're slow. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, Tammy, mm-hmm. thanks a lot for the call. Okay, uh-huh. we're, we're going to take a short break. Uh, our number's again, 855-0811-1-877-285-9348. And the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. It's our gardening show. We'll be right back. Work fast. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, wfiu.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, wfiu.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. We're just uh, chatting about native species here in the studio. (laughs) Welcome back. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Native species pros and cons. Right, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our two experts on gardening today, Helen May and Don Adamson. And we are taking your questions and your comments, 855-0811. Or 1-877-285-9348. You can send us email by going to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And here is a question that just came in via email. It wants to know what is the difference between raised bed soil from any other well-amended soil uh, one generates for a garden? What's the difference? It's not really that much difference. You know, you can take the same soil and and not really raise the bed, but but the vegetables and flowers do like the idea of raised beds, especially our soil here. It has so much clay in it that uh, the native soil, it makes it hard to grow flowers and vegetables and all that stuff because of all the clay. And this is where uh, I know we got started in using raised beds even for landscape plantings as well as garden because our soil is so bad here. So, okay. So basically it's... But it can be raised and, you know, uh, just into a mound and accomplish the same thing Mm -hmm. as long as you have mulch or something to keep it from eroding away. Right. You don't have to have fancy borders or anything like that as long as you have a way to contain it, basically. Right. Keep it from from washing out. I have a quick question about mulch. Is there any difference in in all the mulches other than just for aesthetics? The different hardwood mulch, yeah. cypress mulch, well, cocoa mulch. There's yeah. quite a bit of difference even in the hardwood you buy. Some hardwood, uh, I know some companies mix a lot of sawdust with it and this type thing where other uh, hardwood mulch is all hardwood. And so there are differences even in the hardwood mulch. And, of course, the cypress mulch uh, – Again, sometimes they take whole cypress trees and grind them up, and the cypress mulch will last longer. So some people I know want to use it rather than hardwood because the hardwood almost needs to be replaced once a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but some some of the hardwood comes from sawmills where it's you know bark and stuff stripped off logs. And some of it comes from ground-up pallets, mm-hmm. which is quite raw and fresh wood usually. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of it is colored. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it's colored with or what. Either, but, uh, but most uh, of the colored mulch is made from pa- pallets rather mm-hmm. than actually bark is what we found. Mm-hmm. Because we uh, – well, we personally don't care for the colored mulch because right. it is made from pallets where – we sell lots of the hardwood, which is uh, 
all bark and is from, from the hardwood trees. There you go. But, I, but, I learned a lot about mulch. Well, yeah, I, but then that begs another question in my mind, which is um, what impact do the different kinds of mulches then have on the soil um, if you just choose to – you know, leave them on and, and well. The thing about hardwood, I like it because its decomposing improves the soil. We happen to live in a woods, and uh, we just add some hardwood each year, and that soil continues to improve. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I prefer the hardwood, even mm-hmm. though it is necessary to to redo it each year to keep it looking good. What about the cypress? How does that impact the soil? Well, it doesn't that much. I've I've dug where the cypress is put down, and you can still find the chunks of cypress there. So mm-hmm. you don't get the decomposing. Yes, mm-hmm. it it will look neater for a longer period of time since it doesn't uh, disintegrate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about the um, the wonderful cocoa shell mulch that smells so good when the sun hits? It smells like you're making hot chocolate in the middle of summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good for a fresh application. It's good for keeping cats out of your flower bed because they don't like the feel of it or maybe the smell. But dogs will try to eat it so you have to <laughs> – when it's fresh because it smells of chocolate. So yeah. you have to keep them from doing that for a while. Um, I don't know what it does to the soil. I've I've looked several times <laughs> intending to find out, but I haven't. I've used it for years on some of the beds that I know I'm going to be digging up every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to dig a lot of un digested wood into the soil, and that works fine for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I have mixed it with uh, sphagnum peat moss for my acidic-loving plants, rhododendrons, and not that I have many, Uh, but uh, it keeps the peat moss, which is what we used when I started gardening for mulch, Mm -hmm. from caking and making a dry surface Mm -hmm. if you mix some of the, the cocoa shell in it. I don't like cypress because I don't think it adds anything to the soil right. over the mm-hmm. time. Right. Okay, we've got a couple phone calls. Let's go to Jane. Jane? Hello. Um, I overwintered geraniums in their clay pots under grow lights this year, and they produce beautiful blooms in March and April. We've just recently put them outside, and they're very leggy. And I'm wondering, can I cut them back now? And if so, how far? Well, you just about have to look at the plant to determine how far to cut back. It's nice if there's a lower branch you can cut back to. Uh You can always tip back, uh, depending on the health of the plant, several inches. In fact, a lot of people make cuttings from their overwintered geraniums uh, indoors late in the winter and root them so they have young plants to put out also. Uh, It won't keep them from... Regrowing, but if they're very woody and leggy and staggy, well, it's what I call staggy, you uh, don't want to cut back so far that there's no healthy-looking growth on the tip ends. I see. But it is safe to cut back in spring. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. It will delay blooming, but... That's okay. Thank you. She just had one round of beautiful blooms. She can wait for the next one. All right, Jane. Thanks a lot. And now Pat is next. Pat. Hi. I have two questions. One, is this the right time to prune a lilac bush? Uh, A neighbor said, oh, no, no, wait until fall. And I thought, well, then it won't have time to grow new shoots. You're right. You should prune your lilacs unless there's something dead, which you should take out at any time. Right after they finish blooming. Okay. And if you need to, if it's fairly young, vigorous growth, and you want to cut clear back into bare wood with no leaves on it, you can do that because they'll just make some more leaves. Great. The other question concerns the nasty bush honeysuckle, which I did not realize was as nasty as it is. And I'm having somebody help, you know, cut it down. But I wondered for the roots... Do I have to have them dug out, or is there something I can put on that will, uh, I maybe shouldn't even use the word poison or kill them? Well, that's that's what you're wanting to do, so you might as well say the word. <laughs> uh, you could buy you uh, the smallest container you can find of brush killer. Brush killer? Yes, uh-huh. and then you within the, I don't know when they're, 
cutting this thing off for you, but you should have it on hand at that time. Uh-huh. And maybe a little cheap paintbrush you can throw away mm-hmm. or a squeeze bottle maybe with that you can squirt with. And what you want to do is you want to dilute that somewhat, You maybe not as much as you would if you were spraying it on, but you want to paint the bark area right down to the ground. Uh-huh. And then you may want to come back next spring and paint it again mm-hmm. <laughs> if it tries to sprout on you. Okay, thank you very, very much. All right. I really enjoy the program. Okay, thanks a lot. The phone numbers again, 855-0811-1877-285-9348. And our website for your emails, wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're going back to the phones. And Patsy. Patsy? Oh, hi. Um, I wanted to mention there's an email from a reputable source going around um, describing how the cocoa shell mulch is highly toxic to dogs and cats, and apparently it's the theobromine in it, and is actually dogs are dying from it after eating it. Well, as I said, you don't, you don't want to let them eat it. After it's been on the ground a while and been rained on a few times, I never had any trouble with uh, my dogs eating it. It's while it's fresh and Okay, Yummy, you well, know. as long as people know of the warning, I think yes. that's important. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, bye-bye. And, and cats just don't like it. Mm-hmm. They stay yeah. away from it. Mm-hmm. Don, I've got a question for you. Um, a lot of times, especially in older established neighborhoods, um, the trees will have either um, honeysuckle or other things growing up. Yeah. What effect does that have on the tree? Well, some type of plants, uh, climbing plants like that, hurt the tree more than others. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know as an example, climbing hydrangea, that, which I happen to love, doesn't damage the mm-hmm. tree at all. But they can get so heavy with weight that uh, that you can break off some of the branches, especially the faster growing ones. Mm-hmm. The climbing hydrangea I mentioned is quite slow growing. And it's more of a factor of the weight uh, breaking down the tree, I feel, than because the uh, again the hydrangea grows into it, but it really doesn't hurt it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been battling some uh, climbing euonymus on my big old trees, and uh, it's amazing to me how really firmly attached that stuff oh, yes. is, and it's quite a battle to get it off. Am I damaging or? Uh, it's, it's if it's a large tree, you're probably really not hurting it. Okay. Uh, like I say, if it gets large enough that uh, the weight of it uh, is breaking some branches or something like that, you can mm-hmm. you can cut it at the base. Well, I don't like the way it looks, so I'm, okay. I'm pulling it off. Well, you can <laughs> cut, it, cut it at the base and then pull it off. Yeah, I've been doing after, that. After it sits for a while, it'll come off easy. Oh, that's good to and, know. All and right. one other thing with euonymus ground covers and English ivy, they are used as ground covers, and they do spread mm-hmm. and climb. They're pushy. And if <laughs> if they are allowed to climb, they will change character and bear flowers and fruit, which the birds will spread. And once they get loose, if you see them established in a wood somewhere, uh, they can just keep going. And there were some honeysuckle or multiflora roses. And uh, it, they're considered invasive right. aliens when they mm-hmm. seed. Yeah, so keep mallow trees. All right. I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to renew my efforts along those lines. Okay. We have a phone call. Oh, okay. Let's go. Sorry, Mary Catherine. I'm sorry, too. She's go got- on. <laughs> <laughs> Bob's on the phone. Bob? Yeah. Um, I have, I have two, two uh, questions. Uh, one is mulch. Uh, I've heard that um, before you put on the new mulch, you're supposed to take off all the old mulch. And 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 get get uh, rid of it. The second question is: I have a holly tree that the birds planted, and it's now about uh, nine nine feet tall, but it's very spindly and it looks uh, very strange. It looks like a Christmas tree without any needles. Charlie um, Brown Christmas tree. And, uh, I mean, the leaves are starting to come out. But I was wondering. I had heard that if you pinch the the ends of the branches, that this helps to create a more bushy tree. Yeah. That is correct with holly and other plants. I mean, you can even cut the top and because uh, cutting that will, any place where you cut or pinch those branches, you will get multiple branches coming from that point. 
So that's why it is advisable in order to make a plant uh, more shapely and more desirable to to trim them back. Uh, most any plants can be trimmed, uh, and like I say, even the top, they will develop a new top. When should I do this? Any time, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be done any time, uh, and you're not going to hurt your plant. Some people are re- very cautious to do trimming, but really it improves the plant. I see. And the mulch? The mulch, uh, there's no reason to take off your old mulch. As we talked earlier, uh, the old mulch de- decaying actually adds uh, compost and and uh, improves the soil. So just put the other on top. And uh, uh, it's more of a decorative thing. And as it decomposes, it will improve the the plant that's that it's around. Oh, brings up a lot of mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, it sounds like you may have it too thick then, uh-huh. and some people do that because you don't, you don't want it too thick. If it's in, say, perennials, not over two inches, around shrubs, uh, not over three. Okay. So okay. it's best to not put too much mulch on. Don't get too carried away with it. All right. Okay, Bob. Thanks a lot for the call. Again, 855-0811-1877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Okay, more information um, about the cocoa mulch and dogs. It says, according to the ASPCA website, dogs who consume enough cocoa bean shell mulch could potentially develop signs similar to that of chocolate poisoning, including vomiting and diarrhea. In cases where very large amounts of mulch have been consumed, muscle tremors or other more serious neurological signs could occur. So, okay. There we go. We will be very careful with that. That's right. Don't waste your dog eating that. Oh, bad stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, I have another question. This winter, for some reason, I noticed that the um, uh, plants, and they almost look like bushes in the wintertime. I'm not sure what they look like in the summertime. But um, the beautiful red stalks. Red that re- stem. Mm-hmm. What, what are those? I need some. Okay. There are several different varieties of uh, bush dogwood that have the red stems in the winter. Some are quite dwarf and only get a couple foot tall, and others will get up uh, four foot or so. But it's a type of bush dogwood. Mm-hmm. And do, do those then flower? The flower isn't real showy. Uh, some of them have an, an attractive foliage. I know the uh, the one that we sell most has uh, a green and white leaf all summer, which is very mm. attractive, mm-hmm. as well as having the bright red stems in the winter. And they've developed several new ones now of the red stem dogwoods. I know we have one called Cream Cracker that has a, a, a golden leaf throughout the summer. And then the stems, the stems are not red in the summer, but turn red in the winter. And this cream cracker has really been a popular one for us. That sounds neat. How, what kind of sun does that need? They need uh, quite a bit of sun in order to have good foliage color. Now, the cream cracker, uh, again, uh, you can get a little foliage burn if it's bright, hot sun. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they must have some sun, but not, not a lot. Some varieties are susceptible to some fungus diseases, especially if they're shaded too much. I've been interested in your comments, Don, about the native species and the uh, hybrids making, you know, hybrids making uh, making them better than mm-hmm. what we've had. And I, I you know, from a, a guy that's not as much of a gardener as the rest of you, um, how what's the difference? What's it what's it doing for the trees that's making them better? Well, uh, on hybridized varieties, they've developed them to be more disease resistant and uh, and this type thing, and to be more maybe have more attractive foliage, more attractive berries. So they uh, these uh, plant uh, growers and hybridizers have taken the native varieties and uh, made them much improved from the original native by, uh, like I say, and even made some that are hardier than than the native varieties. But the main thing, that they've made them to be more attractive and more disease-resistant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. All right. Again, our phone numbers, if you have some calls, we still have uh, 10 minutes to go, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Don, what's your take on tree topping? Well, I don't like it <laughs> unless it's essential. Now, uh, 
it can be used if it's done properly. They call it lateral pruning, uh, but more often than not, the people just cut. Yeah. And uh, this causes problems because whenever you leave a, a stub uh, on the tree from pruning and not prune back to where a side lateral branch comes off, you're, it makes it susceptible to disease infection and such. And often... Trees are pruned when I don't feel it's necessary. Most most plants, I think, are the, they're most attractive if you can leave them unpruned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have a concern? I mean, I, I guess the only time I think about uh, pruning a big tree would be, I think, for example, like maples especially seem to me to be trees that you prune just so the wind can go through them better and, and that sort of thing. What's your take on that? Well, again, most so often they just, as I call it, bob bob them off rather than doing a, a lateral prune, and which ends up with dead in the trees as results of the stubs that are left and such. Mm-hmm. Where if they're laterally pruned, they uh, they will be sturdier. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. now many of the evergreens uh, will go to a little different type of pruning. Uh, Probably most evergreens uh, can be pruned without damaging the tree and making it more attractive. As an example, hemlock, which people think of as being a a real large tree, Mm -hmm. can be kept to a manageable size and make a very attractive landscape tree with pruning. So uh, it's it's especially helpful with evergreens. Deciduous trees – uh, in most cases, I, I don't like to see them pruned that much. Okay, we have a phone call. Let's go to Kathy on the phone. Kathy? Yeah, hi. Good afternoon. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question. wonder if you could give me some recommendations for um, perennials for a dry, shady space in my yard that are hopefully deer-resistant. Okay, deer-resistant, dry, shady space. Yeah. Well, for one thing... Um, It'll depend somewhat on how dry. <laughs> uh, you might try epimediums. Uh, is there a more common name for those? <clears throat> they will grow in a dry space if you can get them established. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are perennial, and they come in... Uh, the flowers are rather small, but somewhat uh, generously provided once they get going. Mm-hmm. Some of them will spread lightly. Some of them will maintain clumps. And there's a variation in height from anywhere from probably 6 to 12 or 14 inches. Um, The um, trouble with a dry, shady place is that there aren't very many plants who like those conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm finding that out. Mm-hmm. Have you considered a cactus? Some, if you could use like just a big ground cover or something mm-hmm. and the shade is not really dense, you couldn't beat uh, hostas. Mm-hmm. I have hostas there, but uh, the deer love Love those. Yes. Um, well, and I was going to say that old-fashioned orange daylily will grow yes. almost anywhere, yes. but the deer like those about yeah. the time they bloom. What about Solomon's? <laughs> some someone suggested Solomon's well, seal. Well, Solomon's seal. I have a little wildflower patch at home, mm-hmm. and Solomon's seal's coming up all over it. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes water there in in really dry weather because I've got a few wildflower things that I, you know, I'm concerned about. Yeah. But I think that uh, there's a plant called um, uh, golden poppy. I'm trying to think of its Latin name. It's a native wildflower, mm-hmm. uh, which has spread pretty well through my uh, uh, wildflower garden just from seeding itself. So it's very happy there. There's also, uh, you might try some winter aconite. Now, the trouble with winter aconite is there are two varieties, and I don't think I could name you the Latin names right now. Okay. You may have to get out some catalogs mm-hmm. and look. But one kind is a prodigious spreader, and one kind isn't. They bloom in the shade or in shady areas, but they bloom before there are any leaves on the trees. Hmm. Uh, they bloom sometimes as early as February. Uh, they will form extensive patches, but 
Uh, again, they, that one variety may get out of hand because mm-hmm. it seeds so freely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a plant called, its common name is pig squeak. What's the other name for it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a big, that one I don't know. <laughs> it's a big, thick leaf thing with, um, and the leaves turn red in the winter, and it supposedly is not deer or rabbit bait. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me think. You taking notes, Kathy? I, no. oh, I am. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> this is all very helpful. Uh, oh. I just want to have something in my garden that's named that. Pig's feet or pig squeak? Pig squeak. Because yeah, you, see, you I can, want some of that in my garden. Rub. I don't even know what it looks like. And I think that. You can rub the leaves and you'll get a squeaky squeak. Oh. <laughs> that's great. Well, I'll have to look for uh, that, you too. Might, you might go down and check through our perennial house at the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Jason's there or one of the guys that works in that house, you might. Ask them. Great. Oh, hellebores are wonderful. Oh, yeah. Hellebores. I've got them growing right against the edge of a woods, and uh, they seem to be quite happy there. Mm-hmm. Again, in extremely dry weather, I may give them a little sure. water, but they pretty much get by on their own, right. and they are evergreen, so you have a nice cover there mm-hmm. a lot of the year. Right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. All right, Mary Catherine, we have less than a minute to go. You want uh, any last question? Oh, my gosh. Last... Um, no, you caught me off guard. No. All right. I thought we were going to talk more about the dry, sandy, shady soil. Don, any, any tips for uh, for people that might want some new variety, something new? that I know you said people have been talking to you about raised gardens. and Right. Things. One of the, the new trees I know the city is using a lot of is the tree-flowering lilac. That is a really a neat tree, uh, and um, and they haven't bloomed yet where the other lilacs are in blooming now. The tree lilac, uh, I think ours is called Summer Charm, but anyway, it's a great new tree uh, worth considering. doesn't get real large or anything. Okay. And, and, uh, Helen, any has variety? pretty bark. Uh-huh. has yeah. pretty bark, yes. like a cherry. It sure know. it is. Mm. It's a great uh, tree. Yeah. Any, any last recommendations for anything new? Uh, some people are putting in um, rain gardens, uh-huh. and of course, there you want something that can grow in extensive moisture. Uh-huh. And there are some perennials that uh, that you might want to look into. Um, Give me one. Well, now I knew you were going to ask me that, and my mind has gone <laughs> okay, empty. Okay, well, we're, we're out of time, so, <laughs> okay. so we'll get that next look time. Look in our shade perennial house. <laughs> All right, I want to thank Helen May and Don Adamson for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.